Brothers and sisters, this is B with a quick announcement just to let you know we have three podcasts, three great options for you now on different channels over at the My Soul Centered website. You can get them, mysoulcentered.org, the Defiant Spirit podcast, the Money and Soul podcast, and the Soul Centered podcast. Jump over there to learn the differences, to sign up, and we'll see you on whatever podcast you choose. Until then, shalom, salam, namaste, peace. Welcome to the Soul Center Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Master Healer Ariella Halevi and Rabbi Dr. Baruch Halevi. Rabbi B, your healer and guide on the journey of life. In this podcast, we will explore all things spirituality, meaning, and healing. From Kabbalah and the healing of your soul, to shamanic energy work and the healing of your past. From ancient wisdom traditions to guide your spirit, to modern tools to live your life. The Soul Center Podcast will empower you to discover your soul's purpose and inspire you to live a soul-centered life. And don't forget to check out Rabbi B's newest podcast, The Defiant Spirit. You can find it at mysoulcenter.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And now, on to our show. Welcome everybody to the Soul Centered Podcast. We're excited to have a have an important conversation with you today about um, what are we talking about? Divine love, <laughs> divine love, and it is a very important conversation. Um, we just had Valentine's Day. We wanted to do kind of after the fact and really share with you some of these thoughts. But maybe before we jump in, how about we share a little bit about what's going on with us? Sure, sure. So, yeah, we are. You, you have a lot going on. You should talk about your Enneagram, actually. <laughs> I've been working hard on the Enneagram, um, really designing my own. The Enneagram is an ancient personality, energetic, psychological roadmap. And so I'm really invested into it and creating my own so that I can offer a program called Defy Your Enneagram. And it's working with me, getting an Enneagram assessment of your personality type and then we set out to defy it in the work of Dr. Frankel. You shouldn't be limited by this personality assessment. You should be liberated by it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so that's the work uh, we're going to be doing together. And you can learn more on our website about Defy Your Enneagram. Yeah. And so I have a fear and anxiety workshop coming up on September, February 26th at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. And really what it is, it's really not about fear and anxiety. What it really is, is it's about, you know, kind of what we're going to talk about today. It's about finding that true love within you in order to defy and move past that, the stuff of life, the human being, you know, the, we're, we're not that stuff of life. We are our essence. And really that's part of what we're going to talk about today. And so we have so many things coming up and I just want to say how beautiful it is for um, the dance of Soul Centered, because the beautiful thing about our marriage and our business is that we are so different in the way that we come to the divine, right? Everybody's different the way they come to the divine. And if you find that path through working with B, then you are more of the Enneagram defy, you know, defiant spirit type of person. If you find it through healing and guidance and intuitive guidance, then, you know, you would work with me. And sometimes we work together. And the beautiful thing is that we are a spiritual center that really works with all types of people. 
really the, the type of person really is the type of person that is striving for something deeper than just what we see in this world. And so there's room for all of you and all of us. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about Soul Center. So with that, um, and truly it does come from a place of love, really. That's really, I think, the essence of who we are. So let's, why don't we dive into our discussion today? Well, it's a good segue. Excuse me. I'm like uh, here in Denver and uh, kind of uh, constantly has have a runny nose in this place. Um, so I think it's a good impo an important starting point because people get hung up on this word God, G-O-D. Well, actually, some people prefer it. I talk uh, with some clients who say, I prefer to use God, yeah, not divine. I have some clients say, I prefer to use divine or spirit. Some say I don't care and some say don't use any of it, right. right? So it doesn't matter. The labels that we put on things sometimes become their reality. So you have to put a reality on there that speaks with you, that works with you. And I think that's a very important starting point. It doesn't matter what you call this source, this essence. But the important thing is, are you in relationship? It's sort of like Valentine's Day. But it's not about the flowers and the candy and the cars. I, I didn't get any of this. That's why I said it's not about the flowers and the candy. <laughs> Did you actually the forget it cards. was that day? Because I, I didn't get that. No, I was with Dr. Dan doing a podcast on love <laughs> and thinking this is really weird. And you were thinking of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the point, though, is it's about the experience, right? What's underneath it and not the package. And so I think it's just an important starting point to acknowledge that call him, her, it, they, whatever you want, but we're going to be probably using a lot of divine, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I also think this concept of love, I mean, if you think about Valentine's Day, it really is a hallmark. It's a hallmark experience, right? So, so it's not that important. It, clearly it wasn't. I didn't even <laughs> mention it to you. I was just joking. But no, I mean, for us in our household, I don't know if it's just because it's not a Jewish thing or we lived in Israel or we just, you know, we just don't make a big deal out of it because every day is a love day. Right, honey? <laughs> so no, but the point is, is that it, it really isn't a, it, we put so much pressure and that's the problem. We put so much pressure on this idea of love. And there is so much, I, I think what I found is like, there's a lot of expectation, not just around this day, but in general, um, to have our partner fill us up. And the word, the essence, the divine, the universe, whatever word you use, that is your source for love. And I see it as like, almost like um, in Judaism, we have, when we do our Sabbath, there's a beautiful um, Kiddush cup. There's a cup that we use to pour the wine in and everybody gets to drink from this one cup. And in some households they have like, you pour the wine and then these little cups go, like the wine goes through this little like pathway and then it trickles out to all of the little cups and everybody, you know that? Everybody gets a little cup of wine from this one cup. And when I think about love, I think about this is where the love comes from. It comes from that one cup and it's trickled down to everybody else. So when we are feeling the emptiness or the desolation or the loneliness, typically it's not, yes, it is sometimes we need more from our partner. We need some, we need to communicate. We need different things. But a lot of the time we are being invited to first turn inward and upward 
towards ourselves and up into the divine to say, is there something like, is, is the, the essence being blocked? Is there something that's blocking me from the essence? So let's keep going with that because it reminds me of the Enneagram. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, um, the cups are, you know, the, the source trickles down into this world and in Kabbalah, it's the tree of life. Right. where you have, it sort of looks like a DNA strand kind of, and it's got like these circles, the different emanations of the divine. In the, in the Enneagram, it's the same thing. There's nine fundamental types of love uh, and expression in this world, and we each experience it differently. That's the point. You know, you have your cup down here, you have your um, you, the tree of life, or you have the Enneagram, all as roadmaps to show you that there's no one way to relate to the divine. And you have your way and I have my way and they have their way. And so in Kabbalah, there's 72 names of God because there's, and that's just representative of a lot, because there's a lot, there's an infinite number of experiences of the divine. And so it's it's like being with a lover, like that lover is unique to you. You're unique to them. It's a unique experience. And I just think it's so important, I can't overstate it, to get out of this cookie cutter this is God, and this is prayer, and this is love, and plug and play and go. It's supposed to be erotic, eros, from the deepest level of that word, not just erotic like 8th Avenue in New York where it's blinking neon lights, XXX. I know that because I live there. Um, Actually, 8th Avenue is not like it used to be. But the XXX erotic has been ruined. We've ruined this word eros. Can I say one thing? I was... Uh, (laughs) this is what happens. (laughs) I think that you hit on something really important. Um, I've been watching, I was watching a documentary on sex and this idea that the erotic is what we have seen in, in pornography. You know, it's what we see in movies. It's like even the act of sex, if you think about the act of sex and you see a movie, um, you know, an erotic movie or whatever. It's the woman. <laughs> You're just digging a hole here. I am. <laughs> the stop. <laughs> if you think about it, there's there's a passion that is supposed to happen in this love relationship, in this sexuality, and there's a way to breathe, and there's noises, and there's all sorts of ways that we are supposed to be in love. And so what I've been reading about and watching this documentary about and is what it's saying is like the passion, the eros that you're talking about is actually when that is, when we're replicating what we have learned out in society, out in the world, like you're saying, there's all these different numbers to the Enneagram. Each one is a different type of love. Mm -hmm. Each, you know, you come to love very differently than I do. We, but where we all join is with the, with the, beloved with the ultimate beloved with the divine so imagine you know learning instead of well i have to have sex this way or i have to be this way in in a part with a partner and i have to love this way maybe it's maybe even the breathing is different maybe when we invite eros in that beautiful divine dance between masculine and feminine maybe even the breathing is different maybe it is a much more soft passionate, like type of love that includes the divine. I think of that book by Shmuley Boteach, God in the bed, what is it? Kosher sex. And then there's been a couple that he's written about that this idea that like, does God belong in the bedroom? 
Um, and it's it's sort of like the book Love Languages by Chapman. I forgot his first name. Yeah. Where we all have our different love languages, you know, on Valentine's Day. If you give somebody a physical present and they're not a physical present person, maybe they're more words, they need words of affirmation or spending time, then you're not really connecting to their love language. But I would say the same is true in the spiritual realm. For some people, yoga is like the end all be all. And for some people, yoga is just another painful exercise. Some people like prayer. I don't resonate with prayer. It just doesn't work for me. It never has, which was always kind of a job hazard being a rabbi. <laughs> so true. Um, I used to sit under the talit, the prayer shawl, and everybody's reading the prayers and I'm just breathing and counting my breath and silence. So for me, it's meditation. It's quieting. Other people, it's walking in nature. These are love languages of the divine. And that's Eros, right? Eros isn't um, can't be replicated. It can't, it has to be unique to you and your lover or else it's not Eros. It's something else. I was talking with Dr. Dan because we did this conversation on love. Did I talk about it here too? I was at a, a cafe a week ago or so, and there was an old couple there. Yeah. yeah. And they had an Eros moment and I watched it and they were sharing a muffin or bagel or something. And it was just like I, like I said before, he was like 112 and she was like 117 and it was slow and it was just thoughtful and loving and the touch. Of, it was so erotic, but that's not what we think of when we think of erotic. Right. And that was, I just felt like I was watching divinity in motion. Well, I think what you're touching on is like, there's so many ways to be in, in relationship with the divine and each other. And one of those ways is, is that, you know, being in this idea of Eros is that most, a lot of us have forgotten that part of being in, in love with the divine and in love with each other and being in this relationship where we see each other is also allowing all of us to be present and allowing that vulnerability and those emotions and those shadows. And when we are taught, I was just talking to a client about how she wasn't taught how to express all of her, she was taught, like a lot of us, she was taught that all this bad stuff goes way over here and we're only allowed to present the good stuff. And the problem with being a true quote unquote lover, right, of God, of the divine, is that when we decide that we're going to take a chunk of us and separate out, fragment those pieces, then we are not a whole person. How can we expect to have an erotic, emotional, divine relationship with each other and God when a chunk of us is missing? But I don't want to skip over this too quickly. Um, you know, say we're supposed to have an erotic relationship with God would strike a lot of traditional religious people as if not... Um, outrageous or if not um, blasphemous then outrageous okay okay and it's before ariella jumps in and i <laughs> want to say that it's actually the opposite i think that we have turned religion into a g-rated movie for adults it's i call it pediatric religion mm -hmm. right we've 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 dumbed it down so that we could engage the kids and that's fine, but it is a rated R, sometimes a rated X religion, whether it's Judaism or Christianity, read these texts. Um, they are based on some very dark and disturbing stuff. And they're also based on some very erotic stuff. The Hebrew Bible has so much Eros in it 
to the point where the rabbis ultimately forbid young men to have Song of Songs in their rooms because it was pornography thousands of years ago. Now it strikes us as kind of nothing, but you read it, it's actually about making love to the divine. And there's so much more, which I'll share with you, to the point where it's shocking what I'm going to tell you about the original structure of the synagogue. I I love where you're going with this because I thought you were going to argue with me. And, <laughs> and the truth is, is that the word erotic, it conjures up, you know, sex, sex, pure, raw sex. And the truth is, is that eroticism and, and being in love with the divine is, is about bringing your whole self, right? It, it is about, um, you know, whether it's religious or not, it's about inviting the divine into all parts of you. But if we have compartmentalized ourselves, then we are not, there is not a, you know, we're not conscious of that whole person. So it's really discovering that relationship within you. I'll say it even more simply. It's standing naked in front of right. the divine, in front of your lover, in front of the world. Compartmentalization is clothing, right? right? We compartmentalize, we hide. In Hebrew, the word for clothing, beged, is betrayal. The same, why? Because remember in the, the story of the Garden of Eden, it said that um, Adam and Eve would stand, they stood naked and they felt no shame. And then they... And then, and then the snake crept into the garden. And what was, what's the snake? It's not a stupid slithering reptile. It's Nachash. And what's Nachash? Doubt. Doubt entered into their relationship. And then they clothed themselves. They put on beged, begadim, betrayal, right? They start compartmentalizing. They can't stand naked. The whole point of existence is to get back to that place of vulnerability, opening our hearts, standing naked, not having compartments, saying, this is who I am. That's divine eros. Right, right. And it. so I have a question for you. Do you think that it is, this is about you and the divine and, and also in relationship with someone that you love? So in the original temple, the, um, the, the ark, the, if you go to Israel, you'll visit the Temple Mount. That's the retaining wall that's all we have left. But originally it was this big ornate temple. And in the center of the temple is called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is where they house the ark. And it says, the Kabbalists say that above the ark was the picture of the Keruvim, of these two cherubs. But they weren't like chubby little cherubs, um, you know, on Valentine's Day, Cupid type cherubs. They were a man or a masculine and a woman or a feminine. Um, angels naked, immersed in sexual union. And so the mystics, at least from a Kabbalistic perspective, say that the human models the divine. And so if we want to connect with the divine, we need to unite masculine and feminine. For some, it's heterosexual. For some, it's homosexual. For some, it's, it doesn't matter. It's masculine and feminine, bringing these two energies together. And lovemaking can be a pathway to Eros. It's not the only pathway, but let's be honest. It's not only the most fun pathway, but it's also the most obvious pathway because we know that because we can create babies. Right. Er right. Uh, the divinity. Right. I think that you hit on, you know, so many wonderful pieces <clears throat> and important pieces. One thing that, that I think is really important for our listeners and for just being in human bodies is that often we feel like there's 
we don't give ourselves permission to um, tap into those untamed parts, right? When I think of the dance between masculine and feminine, I think that we are starting to move through it, but I think that we predominantly live in a very masculine world. I mean, even as for me, who's a very feminine person, I very much struggle with the the masculine, the masculine world. And so what happens is when we are being called to be that Eros person, to be that, you know, untamed or vulnerable person, we don't have practice. Mm -hmm. We're not, our world, our quote unquote regular world does not train us or teach us how to be wild, how to be untamed inside of us. I read a quote that said, to balance the masculine and feminine, I'm going to paraphrase, means that you live within this untamed, like you hold the untamed wild piece of you where there's wild animals and mountains and trees and grass and wildcats and deer all inside of you, right? So like anything is possible inside of this container. Uh, the container is the masculine, right? But the untamed is the divine feminine. And it is really starting to have the language and the um, the experience of what that divine feminine feels like in order to experience that that union. And, and you don't have to, I mean, again, you don't, it's not about sex. You don't have to be with somebody no. else. It's another way to train us, like you're talking about, to help us embody it and feel it and get to that place. But it's it's a means, it's not an end. Because, you know, the greatest mystics of all time tended to be monks, monastics. And, you know, so they were harnessing it. When I lived in Sfat before I met Ariella, it's the north of Israel. It's the home of Kabbalah. I lived there for about a year. And um, the high holidays came and I heard people screaming at midnight down in the wadi in the riverbed, like, you know, down below the town. And I remember asking somebody, what is that? They're like, that's how the Kabbalists get ready for the high holy days. They don't go sit in an air-conditioned synagogue and say, please rise and please sit and please turn to page 145 and now read the prayers. They're screaming. What are they screaming? Abba, which means daddy. Abba, all night long. It's like jarring. Why? Because they're getting ready for ecstasy right? For intensity. They're coloring outside of the lines. And I think, you know, we have such a problem today with religion. People are walking away, I think, because nobody really wants to color in the lines anymore. It doesn't work. And I would argue it's not authentic. This is authentic, that wild dancing in the moonlight kind of energy. Right. The challenge is, is that we, you know, you think about regular life and or, you know, even bring it into the face of religion, which is another, you know, side part. We're overworked. We're exhausted. We have too many, you know, screens going on at one time. And ultimately, we've lost our breath. And if you think about the, the portals inside of our own bodies that are set up for this erotic or eros relationship, the first thing that always comes to mind is the breath. But because we are so overworked, because we are so prone to be more masculine, doesn't matter what your gender is, because we are all taught to be more masculine than to dance with this essence, 
we don't know how to get to that place of divine eros. And I think about, you know, obviously this is a podcast for men and women and all genders, but I think specifically about women and how so many women that I see, they, especially in midlife, they're, you know, they're like, I don't have any, I don't know where my sexuality went. I don't know how to find it. I don't know. It might've been there, but now it's gone. And I think about, you know, as a woman and, and men too, like as we hit that midlife and beyond period, there is the sense of being exhausted. There's an exhaustion that, and, and a question, an invitation of you've done it this, you know, we used to talk so much about the, the afternoon of life. And it is really true, I think, in this sense. You know, you're not supposed to read Kabbalah or study Kabbalah until you're 40. And there's a reason for it. Like you're building up and you're working and you're in that masculine energy. And then you hit this period, whether you're 70 or 50 or everywhere in between, where life says to you like, okay, you've done the overworking thing. And now you're being asked to figure out those, that wild nature inside of you. But we don't know how to, we don't know. We're, we're too exhausted. We lost our breath. We can't, we can't function at nine o'clock at night. We go to bed early. We're exhausted. So it's like, it's an interesting dance to like say, great, let's be Eros, but we have to pay the bills. It's true. Um, I think that's why in the afternoon of life, you have a shot at real Eros because the morning of life is so much intensity, but it's so physical. It's so physiological, right? As a man, you know, testosterone is just too high. That's why the Kabbalists say 40, because your testosterone starts to drop and you, you're, you know, your your um, thinking becomes more clear because you're raising the center of your intelligence up to here. And you can see the world now without just testosterone and all that it has to offer. You know, it's great for warriors. It's great. I want my soldiers, you know, at 18 to go out and fight. But when you get older, it starts to shift. And so there's a different type of energy is my point. Mm -hmm. It's not as wild or erratic or intense, but it is much, I think, more pure. It is much more harnessed, or at least you have the potential to harness it. Right. You've got to get off the screens. You've got to make time for it. You've got to cultivate it. Um, but it's sort of like the difference between drinking from a garden hose and drinking from a fire hose. Right. The morning of life is a fire hose. And you just see it when you're around 20 somethings. Mm -hmm. Our son is entering that space. <laughs> it's just like a fire hose, you know, and they can't go. It, it's just, uh, ah. So I think that it's um, the beauty of the afternoon of life is it is more of a feminine. It is. And the morning of life is more of a masculine. And you merge these two things together, which is, by the way, the star of David is the masculine and the feminine or vice versa. The cross in Christianity is the masculine and the feminine. It's an intersection of these two. That intersection to me is where you meet Eros. Absolutely. And I think the beauty of, of getting older is, you know, as you said, the masculine decreases a little bit and there's more space. You're being invited to explore a completely different part of you. Um, I always, you know, I always attribute the divine feminine as this, these portals inside of us. Like if we are too outwardly focused and too busy and too masculine in our lives and overworked, then we we don't get introduced to this beautiful, the, the, the many portals of the divine feminine. And part of it is the body, right? Like, so um, in... 
in many religions, we're not allowed to, to think we're not, you know, we're taught not to, to transcend the body. And really the shamans believe like the mysticism happens because you are a body, because you are a body having a, a spiritual experience here, your body has portals and entryways in yoga. It's like the nadis. I think there's all these energy centers or the chakras or, you know, in, in Judaism, it's the spherot. There's all these different ways in which when we're older or when we pause enough that we can enter into this erotic or eros relationship right through the body, right? Like your body is not just a bag of bones. Your body has these entryways where there's mysticism. I mean, I was with a client the other day who's, she's midlife and going through just like the release of all her children in her home. So she has all this time now and she's entering these beautiful mystical experiences just in the center of her own home. She doesn't have to go anywhere to do it. But that's the dance now is to find the space in our lives, whether you're 30 or 70 and everything in between, we all have the ability to create a little bit more space and time to cultivate that divine feminine. I think that's why yoga is so popular. Um, because really Christianity and Judaism don't have embodied practices and most Americans are Christian or Jewish. And so we've imported a great uh, embodied practice in yoga because people want to feel it. And there's a big difference between doing yoga uh, and going to a yoga exercise class, right? A lot of these places are just another form of exercise fine, totally fine, but that's not really the point of yoga. The point of yoga isn't to burn calories. The point of yoga is to embody divinity, embody this, have an erotic body movement practice. So I think we do it a disservice when we treat it as just another masculine achievement checkmark doing versus I need to experience divinity through movement, not just through sitting. Um, it's again, the difference between going to the gym and going to on a, on a nature walk, right? right? A, not, not a hike, a walk where you get to feel and you're not cheat that, you know, people always say to me, what do you mean by divine masculine and feminine? And masculine is important. Mm -hmm. Like feminine just goes around and around and around. Masculine just goes forward, forward, forward. Needing the intersection of those two things. I think of it as the difference between a circle is feminine, a line is masculine. We could have a whole conversation on that. And then the intersection is a spiral. You're moving forward and you're going around and around. And so there's progression, but there's also relationship. And so finding that synthesis is so hard, but I feel like that's really what we're talking about. In the afternoon of life, you still have vibrancy to do the masculine things like go on a walk, like go on a hike, like go to a yoga class, but it's no longer just about how many calories do I burn? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very, very important to to strike the balance. I, I always think of the masculine as it's the container that holds the feminine, right? If, if you are just all divine feminine, you can't move forward and you get stuck. There's the circle. And then that container is the masculine that helps contain the energy in order to like, you know, meditation is the container through which you experience the divine. And it's the same like a true yoga class or a true hike. Um, so those are the ideas that we have for, for our listeners to really look look at ways in which you can experience the divine um, 
I will say that because there's so many issues with expecting our partners to fill that space. And I think the part of like, you know, even though we didn't intend on talking about the afternoon of life, but I think the afternoon of life is really understanding that we can only go so far with our partners. You can experience that together, that, you know, that magical mystical qualities. But if you don't have it for yourself, you want to start cultivating this awareness within for your body, for yourself to create this divine relationship. And then imagine what it's like when you bring it to your partner. And that, and I'm not just talking about sex. This is emotionally, spiritually, physically. Being in this divine dance with a partner means that you are taking care of your side of the street. You are dancing with your divine. Is your masculine too masculine? Is your feminine too feminine? Where is your balance? And how can you take care of your side of the street? So then you're, you can enter into this relationship as a whole being. And that's to me, like going back to that whole hallmark, you know, Valentine's it's, it is acknowledging the other person and expressing yourself and being in relationship. But it's also remembering that you are a whole person, no matter if you are in partnership or not, you have the ability to be in this like deep love relationship with the divine and your whole self. And I'll end with just reiterating, and I think I want to have a whole podcast on this, of, you know, divinity is not some pure, um, saintly, pietistic, you know, this kind of version of the divine. That's a, that's a way to look at God. But what if God is lover, Right. Lovers, you know, are wild and there, there is ecstasy. And so it's not about the physical sexual union you have with somebody. It's about how do you relate to the divine? What if God is lover? How do you show up and talk to her? How do you experience her or him differently than if God is the king, if God is the father, right? Which are more of these traditional notions which have their place, but we also need to reclaim this kind of wild ecstasy, radical relationship with the divine. So with that, we hope you enjoyed our podcast today. Um, don't forget to check us out on our website to find out about all the most current events happening at www.mysoulcentered.org and check out our newsletter. We are starting to explore. Um, we have so many different offerings in our podcast, so we want to create that for you. So you have a venue to go straight to our podcast and learn more about these things and more about the soul and the divine every single day. Yeah, and I've divided up my podcast just to kind of keep this channel clear for Ariella and I. So this is the Soul Center podcast. You can jump over and download the Defiant Spirit podcast where I do a lot of interviews and conversations with other people. And then um, Money and Soul, which is a new uh, podcast I'm starting as well. So got lots of choices. Jump over to My Soul Centered and we'll see you next time. Shalom. Namaste. Salam. Namaste. You've been listening to the Soul Center Podcast with your hosts, Ariella and Baruch Halevi. If you'd like to learn more about Soul Center, please visit mysoulcenter.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at mysoulcenter. And if you found meaning and inspiration in this podcast, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd also love to hear from you to connect with you. So please reach out to us. And until then, we wish you shalom, salam, namaste. Namaste.